0: Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Gary, and welcome back to another episode of It's Personal. On this episode, we have Viera Harnadani, Night Diary author, the whole story of half a girl raised in Connecticut, George Washington graduate, and overall, just beautiful soul. Let's get into it. It's about to get personal. How did get Personal. Personal. Just got- Whoa, 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 whoa. We almost forgot. Newly award-winning John Newbery Medal for Most Distinguished Contribution to American Literature 2019, The Night Diary. Congratulations.
1: Personal. Gary and I just got personal. It's Personal. My name is Derek Bourne. My name is Cornelius Minor. My name is Val Brown. This Personal. is Nick Stowe. I'm Donald
0: Miller. Hello, welcome back everyone to It's Personal Podcast, and I am over the moon, <laughs> excited for our guest today. If you don't mind, um, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Um, I am Vera Hiranadani, and um, I'm a an author, among other things. And uh, my first book... It's called the whole story of half a girl, and then I wrote a chapter book series called BBG Green, and my most recent book is called The Night Diary, um, about a twelve-year-old girl who has to leave her home during the partition of India. So that's that's very the quick the quick intro. Quick intro. That's so <laughs> awesome. And again, my yeah. kids
0: absolutely love your books, um, and I love that that's you so do great. such. A- that- yeah, it's crazy that they're like. All the way in Singapore, in like.
1: Singapore. <laughs> I love it. What what school? Tell me a little bit about your school.
0: Sure, uh, we're, I Singapore. I teach third grade, and my wife teaches sixth grade at Singapore American School. Um, okay. So we are a very large international private school that holds. I think there's like four around four thousand kids or so, and we have every kid from every nationality, um, and we love reading and writing. A lot. <laughs> um, so it's it's been fun. I'm actually moving next year to Manila oh, wow. to teach in another international school. Um, and I've only done international teaching, so um, I'm wow. excited again makes- to make a move, but at the same time we'll miss singapore american school a lot next year so yeah
1: see now i want to interview you
0: (laughs) (laughs) we could chat anytime (laughs) anytime anytime so tell tell us a little bit more about like who you are in regards to maybe where you were born um what did that look like um for you as a child and growing up uh, just with i'm assuming reading and writing at the forefront
1: sure um well i grew up in a small town in Connecticut. And, um, oh no, is that me? Or I'm not sure. I
0: have no idea. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's still recording. It's fine.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, so I grew up in Connecticut, a small town. And my, I went to, oh. I remember just going to a small, kindergarten and then in first grade um, my parents friends actually started a private school Wow And it was an arts-based school and there were like it's called the learning community and there were probably maybe 50 kids at most like in the entire school all the grades um, and I went there from first to fourth grade and it was a very um, again you, you know just arts-based a lot of focus on reading and writing and making things and we would put on plays and do these sculptures for art class and just we would go on camping trips and it was and i had eight kids in my my class and we all knew each other really well we were like family and I knew all the, a lot of the teachers so they were like my parents friends so that was my first real school experience and then in fourth grade between fourth and fifth grade um, the school was just sort of having trouble keeping up the upper grades and my parents felt like you know I, they didn't want me to go into a fifth grade with like five kids mm-hmm. and they thought it would be good for me to try the public school Mm -hmm. in Connecticut, so I went to fifth grade, and going to just kind of a big public school, and that's the first time that I realized that my own identity was different than what other people would expect, especially Mm -hmm. in this small town Mm -hmm. in Connecticut, a predominantly white Christian town. So my Jewish, Hindu, half-Indian background, um, people had so many questions that I didn't even know how to answer Mm -hmm. these questions. Because mm-hmm. nobody had really asked me them before. I was just Vera. Sure, members.
0: sure. Wow. So, so, yeah. So what what would you say was the hardest part about that? Was it? Would you say it would be the questioning or the, just not knowing yourself how to answer? Um...
1: I think it was really being a little blindsided by it, having to just look at myself in a different way of mm-hmm. like, oh, there are um, communities that are going to think that my... Interracial or interfaith background is actually weird and different. And um, what does that mean? And why is it? And mm-hmm. and it, it made me just sort of feel outside of things for the first time. Which from first to fourth grade, I was so in everything, mm-hmm. and I was so kind of engaged in my life, and not really thinking much about how others saw me. Sure. So it, and you know, and then I became really shy. Um, And really self-conscious and that wasn't kind of my That wasn't ultimately my natural self, Mm -hmm. you know as a child and I kind of Always then thought of myself as kind of like well, I'm shy I'm sort of on the outside of things But it was it was really that That experience in fifth grade that kind of made me like that. It took me a while to kind of unwind that and do that
0: Mm -hmm. Would you say growing up? Um, you had control over what your identity looked like? Or did you feel like it was more of a, it was like highly influenced by like the outside?
1: Well, I think from fifth grade on it was. um, And I don't know if it was because I grew up in the, in the seventies and eighties. I don't really remember talking to my parents too openly about, Mm -hmm. it just felt like it was this sort of private thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't like ask my dad too much, you know, how does he feel being, you know an Indian immigrant in the you know in this where he worked in Connecticut Mm -hmm. and how did my mom feel Um, and you know I saw them kind of struggle sometimes with how to balance both of their religious backgrounds and and they they both aren't very religious people Um, and so you know they they kinda stumbled their way through it we just really didn't talk about it too much so I felt like I was a little alone Um, and my parents are very supportive people but I did feel a little alone in managing what this meant
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how to kind of bridge um, my parents backgrounds with my own background and what that meant for me and of course it was fifth grade on so that's a time where everybody is you know trying to form their identity but mm-hmm. but yeah that was a big part of it so mm-hmm. so you know some other people might be I don't thinking about different other things in the way that they identify, and for me, uh, religion and race were kind of at the forefront
0: mm-hmm. of my
1: thinking. Very young,
0: very mm-hmm. young. Wow. Yeah. When when did you start writing?
1: Um, I started writing like as long, for as long as I can remember. Yeah. And I was always kind of writing poems and stories and plays. I didn't really think of it as oh, I'm going to do this professionally. You mm-hmm. know, it was just like I was I was a maker. I was mm-hmm. somebody like make up stuff. Um, to work out my own my own thoughts, but also to kind of escape and play, and um, and I love reading and watching movies and and all of that. Mm-hmm. So and I like painting and uh, acting. So I was always into stuff like that.
0: And would you say your teachers were supportive of that, like when you were in school?
1: Yeah, sometimes. I mean, it, at the learning community, it was like a total celebration mm-hmm. of the art. Time. And so I'm really glad that I had that base because I got a lot of good feedback and I got a lot of freedom to just explore that. And then when I went to a more traditional public school, there were some places to explore that, but a lot of times it was more, of uh, you know, reading, writing and arithmetic in mm-hmm. that kind of public school atmosphere in the seventies and eighties. So it wasn't the most creative thing in the world. But mm-hmm. I was I did theater and when I would get a chance to write a short story or something, I, I usually did get good feedback from teachers. In some ways, you know, I was a pretty inconsistent student mm-hmm. so I didn't do so well in like math math and science. But then I'd write a story and I'd get great feedback of course. Um, and or paint a picture and, and so that sort of told me like this is what
0: to focus on so yeah what the, the thing is i think it's i feel like the more experiences um i feel like you can always get a positive out of all experiences and all experiences obviously aren't um they don't come across as i guess great experiences um but i do truly believe and maybe it's just me that you can grab something like if you survive um and i know it's hard like it could be you could survive and you could still be in pain or um suffering I I still feel like you can find some sort of positive in there I think Um, I know it's really difficult sometimes but I I I think with with those experiences um for you I think you've obviously learned a lot going from two different schools it sounds like
1: yeah and in my first book I mean that's basically what I wrote about Mm so you know I was writing for sort of these adult world's adult voices and people characters older than I was when mm-hmm. I first started kind of writing professionally in a sense or trying to write professionally and it just went through it didn't feel honest and then I just kind of went back to this place um, that felt very true and was sort of difficult sometimes but mm-hmm. that kind of launched me as a writer to sort of really take from a place I knew very well and of course it's fiction so I changed a bunch of stuff of and course made things- more dramatic uh-huh. in certain ways, um, but I definitely use it as a base, and, yeah. a, and that's kind of what I always do with my writing
0: in different ways. Yeah, I think that's what I try to do in the classroom, is I think the power of like that personal story is, I like, I love writing about narratives, like I love helping students write about themselves and bring yeah. their, their self to life in stories. I think their personal stories are growing consistently every single day. Um, and them having, being able to articulate that and talk about that and how it's influenced them in both negative and positive ways, I think is so, so important. And to hear authors doing that and seeing them doing that within their work is just even more of an encouragement for me as an educator to talk to my kids about, like, hey, this is the process that authors take. Like, they, Share their personal stories, whether that's through their fiction writing, through their narrative writing, through their like whatever, because um, students need to hear that. They totally, yeah. totally need to hear that. It's
1: fun like to hear that. Yeah, I, I like heard that growing up. Yeah, you know, I didn't hear that a lot. It was like, well, what was your summer like? But I don't
0: <laughs> exactly. No, I, I had yeah. this. I had the exact same thing, um, and I think we often talk about the teachers that we remember, um, and why do we remember them? Um, And we know, we could name those teachers. We can tell you specifically what we enjoyed about that classroom. And that's often what I think about when I'm teaching. Like, am I leaving them with a positive experience, regardless of what that is, whether it's an activity or a lesson or a hug or a handshake, which yeah. is so important, it's just so, so important. With that, what would you, would you say you had a favorite teacher or, and I know this is like a really loaded question because <laughs> I'm sure you've had a handful of teachers that you've enjoyed, but would you say there were teachers that you specifically um, feel like have really helped you grow as a person or as a student?
1: Yeah, in different ways at different times, um, I don't remember, so I had a teacher in 3rd and 4th grade at the learning community and he was fantastic and he was kind of, um, you know, the last teacher I had like that for a really long time where he was just encouraging everybody to kind of think about themselves and who they were, not even necessarily as formal a way because, again, the school was, it felt like when I look back, was everybody just kind of making stuff up as they went? <laughs> it was just—it was almost like a camp. It was—it um, was amazing, but it—it it definitely allowed us to be really self-directed. And he would teach us—you know—he did a lot of playwriting. I remember we did a lot of food. We would make mm. food. He had a um, Saudi Arabian background, mm-hmm. and so he um, taught us certain Arabic foods and Arabic language. And I remember finding so out. Um, yeah, I remember knowing um, he was Muslim, and I remember knowing that, like, uh, and this was something I was learning for the first time, that, you know, the religion was called Islam, but if you practice it, you're a Muslim. And I remember learning that, and thinking it was just this really cool fact. And, I, and when I think back, it was such a different time, mm-hmm. and it makes me sad because it was just like one of the many things we were learning, and it wasn't, um... It just didn't seem separate or carry any kind of baggage the Mm. way it would in this world today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just remember being excited, being exposed to new things. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was, he was really uh, an influence that way. And then, you know, I remember having a math teacher in like seventh grade. And it was the first time it was algebra. And for some reason, algebra was easier for me. Because I think algebra is a little bit like a story, kind of. And you have to find the missing piece. Yeah, yeah. and she encouraged me in math for the first time. Like, I always felt like, you know, it's just, it was something I had to get done, math. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, my eyes started to open. And mm-hmm. I, I felt like, although I didn't really, you know, that was it. That was, it <laughs> <laughs> so that was
0: my eye. Seventh <laughs> <laughs> grade algebra. So, that, grade algebra. Yeah. Um, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so. What would you say yeah. if, your, um, if your parents were to describe you in three words, what, what words would those be?
1: Parents, hmm. Well, I think they'd say creative, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd probably say, like, dreamy or, you know, I, I definitely got called out of being sort of a spaced out kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I am definitely always a dreamer. Um, in some ways, this is four words, but I think they both think I'm Kind of cautious but also a risk taker somehow i both of those things so mm-hmm.
0: i think that yeah. the dreamy part i can totally see that like that's what authors do like they're constantly thinking about things or yeah um coming up with new ideas mm-hmm. analyzing like that's just life <laughs> right you're constantly yeah. storytelling which i think is so cool Can you tell us a little bit about your process of writing like what does that look like you you're trying to come up with an idea what does that process look like for you
1: Mm -hmm. well i'm always sort of thinking about the future um while i'm working on something Mm -hmm. so whatever i'm working on i never shut myself off from new ideas because they just come the new ideas come and i do get a lot of ideas and i don't really have to work at the idea part mm-hmm. you know and i just write them down when i have them so when i'm ready to do something new i just kind of go back to that list of ideas that i had been sort of collecting while i was working on something else and i think it's just my nature <clears throat> to get the ideas while i'm working on something else mm-hmm. because i am i'm dreamy and distracted <laughs> sometimes so but that that kind of works that way um, in a way for me to procrastinate what I'm supposed to be working on, I, you know, think of new ideas. So mm-hmm. I collect those ideas, and then when I'm ready, I kind of look and see what's still resonating for me, and some of them I just don't even know why I thought them, and others really, you know, there's usually one that stands out. Um, I can't even remember when I was thinking of my first book, The Whole Story of Half a Girl. It was such a autobiographical story, it was just always with me, and I just felt like now I'm ready to tell this story. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so an idea. Um, But then when I am ready to kind of form it into a novel, I do some loose outlining. I don't like to do such particular outlining, but I do like to get a sense of, you know, the general plot, beginning, middle, end, kind of where I'm going. I think of the title usually to kind of guide me, even though Mm -hmm. it can change. And then I just start to go and just listen to whatever voice comes out. I just kind of start in the beginning i'm a pretty linear writer i know some people like write in patches and kind of try to put it all together mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like i i need to loosen up a little bit because i can write so chronologically um so you know the jump around is actually kind of hard for me mm-hmm. um, and then i just start and i usually uh, like if I write a chapter, then the the next day I'll read the chapter again, and then start from there. Eventually, the manuscript gets too long sure. for me to kind of read over, so uh-huh. then I, I just read the chapter four, um, and remember what I was doing, and kind of start to revise the chapter four, and then start new stuff from there. And I just kind of step by step, That's you awesome. know, one foot in front of another.
0: How how long? this out is somehow. this is mainly for my students because I always tell them so. How, how many times do you revise your writing? A million times. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: a million. Um, I say, and I've taught it both young people and adults writing, and what I say is the more experienced a writer you become, the more you actually revise, usually, mm-hmm. rather than it's not something where, you know, you practice and you get really good at it, and then you don't have to revise anymore. Mm-hmm. It's actually that you understand that that's where a lot of the work happens. Mm-hmm. So. Just getting kind of that main story out is just like throwing the clay down on you know whatever kind of sculpture you're trying to make, and the revising is like really forming that piece of clay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just so much a part of the writing process. And like the Night Diary, I probably revised twenty different times.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's so good. So, and then, again, that's as a younger as a young writer, I think it can be difficult sometimes to 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 hear the the phrase revise because it feels like oh well i was just finished <laughs> or i thought i was no. finished um but i do i think hearing authors say it and then seeing it as well is can be so powerful so i'll make i'm going to make sure i share this with them
1: <laughs> and you know that's also the part of the journey i mean young writers i think first you have to learn how to think of the story and get it out yeah. just that step is you know a while, kind of feel comfortable, and then, you know, as that comes a little easier, then you can have more of the space mm-hmm. you know, of thinking about vision,
0: yeah, but, yeah, yeah so, I was,
1: when I was young, I was like, there it is! Like,
0: <laughs> as you should, like, I think that's the, that's the thing, like, yeah. as, when you're younger and you have so many things on your mind, like, you don't really have a focus, like, you are constantly changing and wanting to mix things up, and it's hard to go back and and, and revise, right. I, to, I, I totally... Right get where they're coming from Um, I I spent a lot of time thinking about childhood development and like the developmental stages and like I get it (laughs) I totally I totally understand why you feel this way right now I totally understand Um, how does it feel to be a female author I don't know. <laughs>
1: no. I mean, I just know how it feels to be me. Yeah. I guess um, know how it feels to be me and then in, in the world of being a female author, I mean, there are a lot of women in children's publishing, so mm. I definitely don't feel uh, kind of like sort of one of the old women, yeah. you know, in that community. So that's that's comfortable and good. When I am in situations where I am surrounded um, by more male authors, or the only woman on a panel uh, with male authors, which I've been sometimes, I um, I definitely feel you know a little bit like I I have to kind of stand my ground, um, uh-huh. and make sure that I'm not kind of deferring uh-huh. more um, uh-huh. because sometimes sometimes it can be some louder voices but that can happen with women too of course um, mm-hmm. but I, I'm more conscious of it I think if I'm um, surrounded by you know in a situation with more male authors want to make sure that I my voice gets heard um, and person of color woman of color I just I want to I want to come at it where it, it's my specific identity that's being made known mm. like um, you know because I, I think, coming from a mixed background Mm -hmm. is just, it's a different experience because all experiences are different Mm -hmm. and I want people to know this is where I'm coming from. I was, you know, you, you see me as a woman of color, but what does that mean for mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. Right? Totally. So I grew up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this particular background. My father's from India. My mom grew up here. I also am navigating two religions in and identify with both of them, mm-hmm. both the Jewish side of my family and the Hindu side of my family. And so that is, that is my lens, my perspective. I think it gives me an ability to empathize with um, a lot of people who feel like they're in the margins, feel, um, or minority groups, Mm -hmm. in certain ways, and Mm -hmm. in other ways, I may not be able to understand Mm -hmm. a specific experience, but one thing that's constant is I know what it feels to be other, Mm -hmm. and I know what it feels to be um, on the outside of things, Mm -hmm. and it's just navigating that, that Mm -hmm. I have a, a very specific experience, and I don't understand everybody else's experience, but that is a constant and that I can relate to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other people of color with very different experiences mm-hmm.
0: than I've had. It's a really good answer. A really, really good answer. <laughs> <Thank
1: you.
0: laughs> it's a really good answer. Thank you. Um, so I'm <laughs> not gonna keep you too much longer. Um, yeah, I have just a few more questions, okay? What do you really like or enjoy about education right now or books right now? What do you see that excites you within like that kind of genre?
1: You, Gary?
0: Oh.
1: (laughs) Yes. I mean, you know, I I see, so I grew up in such a typical kind of public school environment where, you know, a a lot of it felt like we were just sort of going through the motions in kind of our cookie-cutter way, and my daughter goes through a public school right now, and it's a great school, but I do see some of those cookie-cutter ways that are Mm -hmm. happening and not enough of sort of individual voices, enough focus on art or reading or writing in a way that... I think, allows for um, a young reader to and a, or a young writer to really understand who they are as an individual. So mm-hmm. I, I would like to see that more, but then I see the sort of counteracting of some of that in a more exciting way than I've ever seen before. And possibly it's because, you know, I think we, we all realize there is a lot of negatives with kind of social media sure. and podcasts and YouTube. Mm-hmm. But the positive is that people really, if they want to kind of... Create a voice of their own and put it out there in the world everybody has the freedom to do that mm-hmm. and so I'm seeing a lot of more educators like you um, that want to really question things out there and talk about what we're doing as educators and writers and readers um, and so I think it's a really exciting time uh, in the sense of people kind of pushing back against the, the norms, the norm, and yeah. that those voices are, are louder mm-hmm. um, But I do, I do hope that, and I think also just the idea of diversity, which we can unpack and we, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a big topic, Um, but I do, I feel encouraged that I think there are a lot more um, authors of color uh, out there in -hmm. the world being published, Mm -hmm. and so we still have a lot of work to do, but I am seeing some change. I don't, we have to just keep working, uh, working hard at it, Mm because it's, it's, not gonna come easily or just stay there if mm-hmm. we don't keep working. But um, but I'm seeing changes that way. So That's, that's awesome. Encouraging. And
0: I think you answered both questions. I think it was. What do you see that's going really well? What do you think um, we need to work on? And you answered both of those. <laughs> so I, I that's and thank you very much. Like those are very very those are very good compliments coming from you. Um, and oh. I think the the thing is with. Teaching it, I, I feel like educators should be consistently trying to um, push the narrative a little bit. Just trying yeah. to see what out, what what's working, what's not working, um, what's best practices, and that's that could be lots of different things. Um, lots of schools are doing totally different, like doing the same thing, doing different things, and I think it's important that we are consistently just researching and trying to um, consistently practice and get better at what we do. I'm so happy that we were able to talk today. Me too. I'm super... And wh- where can people find you? Um, what is next for you? Um, I'm is sure your schedule super busy.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now I'm trying to finish a draft of my next um, book that'll come out in 2020. Mm-hmm. I think summer of 2020. Um, a different aspect of my... my uh, sort of family background and um, I'm writing from the perspective of a 12-year-old Jewish girl growing up in Connecticut whose older sister um, elopes with an Indian man and so it's kind of inspired by my parents because they eloped Mm -hmm. in the 60s Um, and so just kind of playing around with some of that. Um,
0: Whoa. and
1: connecting to that so I'm trying to finish that and just I teach at Sarah Lawrence College um, in the writing institute mm-hmm. and I go on school visits and you can find me at www.verahiranadani.com
0: awesome so, uh, thank you so much yeah. and I'll make sure I put um your links in, at the bottom so everyone can um contact you and right. see all the great things that you're doing if they don't already know already Oh well. I don't know. <laughs> Vera, thank you so much for joining me today. I am thank you for having me. I am again super excited to see what you do next. Thank you. And I hope to talk thank to you, you soon. Thank you. All right.
1: All right. Bye. <laughs>